Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. On October 31st, Protestant Christians all around the world will celebrate 500 years since the day Martin Luther protested the authority of the Catholic Church. As a matter of fact, celebrations have been going on all year to mark this significant moment in church history. Chris, Martin Luther's protest is, in fact, what differentiates us from other branches of Christianity. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right, Steve. And and that's the reason we're actually called Protestants. Do you hear the word protest in our name? Martin Luther had not only had a profound impact on church history with his protest, his bold act shifted ultimate authority away from the Catholic Church to the authority and supremacy of the scriptures in our lives. His protest against the authority of the Catholic Church in 1517 also had a profound influence on Western culture and the way we understand liberty and freedom and how people are governed today. And to help me understand more about the Reformation and Martin Luther's bold act is Dr. Michael Svigel, Department Chair and Professor of Theological Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. And I was fortunate to sit under Dr. Svigel during my time at Dallas Seminary several years ago. So it's an honor to have him on the program now. And I know you, my listeners, will be blessed as well. So, Mike, great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate the invitation. We could spend probably hours talking about the impact of the Reformation uh, in the church, the impact of the Reformation in, in, in culture, in Western culture, but we've only got a few moments together. So I, I kind of want to get right down to it. And, and I heard someone say this, Mike, uh, I heard someone say that Winston Churchill is the man of the 20th century but Martin Luther is the man of the millennium. So number one, I guess my question is this, who is Martin Luther and what did he do 500 years ago that changed the trajectory of the church? Yeah, you know, the, um, the direct and indirect impact of Martin Luther uh, and the movement that he, he inspired, the, the Reformation, I mean, it's definitely historic. Um, depending on who you listen to, though, Martin Luther could be regarded as either a great hero or a great heretic. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church at the time would view him as a, a, not just a dissenter, but a, a heretic or a villain, and someone who split the Church and brought destructive teachings. Uh, we Protestants, evangelicals, would look back and see him as the one who ignited uh, the Reformation, which um, was a uh, looking back to the early Church and uh, before a lot of the destructive and misleading doctrines crept in throughout the Middle Ages mm-hmm. and was a restoration movement, especially focused on the doctrine of salvation. Uh, mm. What must I do to be saved? And, and Luther and his uh, colleagues were adamant uh, with Scripture in the early Church that it's, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, based on the authority of Scripture alone. So the the classic solas of the Reformation. So I would say, you know, his impact is still felt um, very decisively within a generation or so. People realize you can't go back to the monopoly that the Roman Catholic Church had and, and theology and, and uh, the Church, uh, politics and right. ecclesiastical authority. And uh, we've really benefited in many ways um, from the, the movement he started. Now, let me ask you this. You, you know, you were saying that one of the, the, the major uh, contributions that he made was of salvific, the, the theology of salvation, right. the, bringing us back to really what the scriptures say about it. But, but his original 
argument against the Catholic Church had to do with more indulgences in the way that the Catholic Church and the authority were abusing the people. When did when did Martin Luther uh, was he already reading Romans and things of that nature before his ninety five theses, or was that something that came afterwards? When did all that begin to happen? Yeah, it, it's a little of both. He he already started to realized that the that something has changed. He was reading uh, St. Augustine from the 5th century. He was reading uh, Scripture and some of the early fathers, and comparing that to uh, some of what, what the contemporary scholars in his day were saying, he realized there was a, a vast difference. Um, but he himself moved, even when he nailed the 95 Thesis, which is what we're celebrating for the 500th anniversary, the October 31st, 1517, uh, he was still in, in development in his own understanding of the doctrine of salvation, and really it was a couple years later that he had his breakthrough and realized that uh, it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So, yeah, yeah, like all of us, you know, he grew and developed in his understanding. He saw the problem, mm-hmm. and the solution um, kind of gradually worked itself out. And he wasn't alone. There were many others at the same time, even independent of him, that were seeing the same problems and coming up with the same uh, understanding of salvation as well. The Reformation not only had an impact on the church, uh, but it also really had an impact on Western culture. And I really think the way that people understand freedom and liberty in governance. Is it true that Martin Luther's kind of bold stand against the Catholic Church and its authority snowballed essentially over the centuries into modern Western politics? Yeah, I mean, to some degree that's true. Um, you know, it's a common undergrad history question that professors like to ask, does, does, the, does the person make the history, does the history make the person? And, uh, you know, the, the ideas of um, challenging uh, the authority, some uh, religious as well as political authority, and some changing of the mind, the idea of critical thinking and individualism, those things were already at work really since the Renaissance from the, about a century or so before. So uh, Luther, in a sense, was a product of his time, um, there was nationalism. The Swiss wanted to, a way out from under the Ro- Holy Roman Empire. And so there were a lot of things that were kind of moving in that direction already. So I would su- suspect that freedom, liberty, and some of these values would have developed anyway. But Luther was like the guy who started the spark on a bunch of people who were really ready to st- be lit on fire. And it uh, yeah. and it spread like wildfire. So And some of it was a bit excessive, we have to admit. There were people who were picking up the sword and trying to overthrow and topple uh, institutions and governments that really shouldn't have been. And so there was a bit of chaos. But we can look back now in hindsight and see, yeah, really there was a dry kindling ready to be ignited, and Luther was there with a match. Well, is it true to, you know, I've, I've heard this phrase, uh, individual priesthood, this idea that, you know, moving away from the Catholic Church where you have somebody that stands between you and God, a human essentially, and a, a, a figure like the Pope, um, that now a, a Christian, you know, which comes from the Reformation, a Christian has individual priesthood. He can stand before God in Christ alone. There is no need for a human mediator on earth. And that kind of also sparked the way that we understand freedom and liberty, that people have individual rights, God-given rights. Is that where some of that comes from as well? Yeah, to some degree. The uh, the idea of the priesthood of all believers, part of it is, of course, we are responsible for, for actually believing the gospel. We, we are not, we can't just 
ride the coattails of somebody else's spirituality or a right that happened to us right. uh, as infants. But also priesthood of all believers meant that we are to be each other's priests, sharing and caring and praying for one another. But the you know this image of a monk in a mallet, uh, you know, sparking this reformation by himself or standing before council and emperor and saying, "Here I stand," you know, with me the word of God and my conscience. Uh, that becomes um, iconic for uh, the idea of individual liberty, etc. Although Martin Luther would have said, no, 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 that this was a victory of the Word of God right. over the traditions of men and the powers of the devil. He tried to back away. He really despised the idea that this was a Lutheran tradition and preferred the term uh, evangelish or evangelical, gospel-proclaiming. Oh, interesting, really. Now, as as tradition goes on and, and evangelicalism is also, uh, you know, uh, rolling along and growing, you know, over the centuries yeah. then, my, my question is this, you know, how, how did Martin Luther and the Reformation uh, have an effect on how we interpret the Bible? You know, at the Friends of Israel, and I know at Dallas Theological Seminary, too, there's a theological belief that God has a unique future for Israel and the Jewish people, and it's a plan that, I mean, for me, of course, I clearly see in the scriptures, but really in church history prior to Martin Luther or even, you know, even beyond Martin Luther, people didn't really see it that way. You know, how did the Reformation assist in really triggering a new way to see Israel and the Jewish people in God's ultimate plan of redemption? Yeah, that's a it's a long uh, story, but but essentially, uh, we would say the, the early church, the apostles, Jesus taught that there was a future for Israel, the new covenant was for Israel, and there would be a restoration. Uh, and you see echoes of that a little bit in the earliest church, but you're right, it, it kind of dies off, and this idea that the church uh, as an institution has replaced Israel or inherited all of the promises originally to uh, ethnic Israel, that, that dominated even through the Reformation. So this was not mm-hmm. really a question that the, the Reformers thought about or even challenged. They sort of inherited this medieval view of the end times and the relationship of the Church and Israel, etc., uh, from Augustine and, and the, the medieval period. But, but what the Reformation did was placed a new emphasis on Scripture and especially a uh, focus on the uh, historical, grammatical, literal reading of Scripture, because, look, before if you had a question about what the Bible meant, uh, you deferred to the Pope or the Magisterium or the Council, but now uh, we are to read the Scriptures and study it and find out what it originally meant, and this opened up the possibility that the Church had gotten it wrong on a number of other issues, and it really was 17th, 18th, especially 19th century, when uh, the there's been reconsideration of the understanding of the relationship between Israel and the Church. Um, in, in traditional eschatology or amillennialism was challenged by a lot mm-hmm. of different people from different denominations. And, and we're, we're the heirs of that, that I guess, a further outplaying or unfolding of, of the Reformation. Yeah, we really don't ever take into consideration the fact that prior to Reformation, you know, really this idea of an eth- a future ethnic Israel, it popped up every once in a while yeah. in, in some of the theolo- uh, theologians' writings or, 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 you know, in history, just every once in a while. Uh, yeah. But it really isn't until after Reformation that you begin to see, as people are looking at the Scriptures, the Scriptures are, you know, uh, accessible to people, that, that that a new way of looking at Israel and the Jewish people appears. Correct, correct. And, and I think today, um, you know, you mentioned our tradition, the dispensational tradition is, is one that has really always stood for uh, a future for Israel, 
uh, under their Messiah. Um, but, mm-hmm. but we're not alone. There are even today uh, a number of people who are looking at the same passages we look at and say, yeah, I, I see this. Romans 11 is pretty clear that, right. um, that there, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then all Israel will be saved, and God is going to keep his promises. And, and there are a lot of people out there now, and, and there's a bit of a resurgence, in fact, in this idea of a of a future for Israel, and God has not written off his people. So that's a very encouraging to see. Very encouraging. And my friends, I really want to encourage you, if you want to follow Dr. Zwiegel, you could follow him on Twitter, at Zwiegel, that's S-V-I-G-E-L. Thank you so much for being with us, sir. We, we really appreciate the knowledge that you bring to the table and how you've been able to help us understand more about this important moment, 500 years uh, since the Reformation. Thank you so much, Dr. Zwiegel. Thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it. Anytime. We hope you've been enjoying our focus today as we celebrate 500 years since the Protestant Reformation. We've been learning Martin Luther profoundly changed the direction of the church, but it's good to remember he was just an ordinary person like you and me. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And Steve, Luther isn't the only ordinary person God has done extraordinary things through. In Warren Wearsby's book, 50 People Every Christian Should Know, Wearsby provides a glimpse into the lives of Christians like Charles Spurgeon, Fanny Crosby, Jonathan Edwards, and Hudson Taylor. Story after story, you will be encouraged how God used everyday people to do his work, and it will inspire you to live a life that honors God. To order your copy of Warren Wearsby's book, 50 People Every Christian Should Know, go to foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. Or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Welcome back, everyone. And if you're just joining us, we've been discussing the 500-year celebration of the Protestant Reformation. We were just speaking with Dr. Michael Zwiegel of Dallas Theological Seminary, hearing of all of the positive aspects of Martin Luther's life and his bold act, uh, really, to change the church, his bold act of showing the authority of the Bible in one's life, and really even in how he had an impact in what we know as Western politics. However, There is one black stain that is forever connected to this giant in church history. And it's a black stain that's very personal to us here at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And it's the relationship Luther had with the Jewish community. And I realized this upon my first trip to Yad Vashem, which is Israel's Holocaust Memorial. And I saw something that shocked me while I was there. We entered into what kind of seemed like a maze of Holocaust history. And you would think that that first section that's talking about the history of the Holocaust would focus on Adolf Hitler. Instead, what it showed, its first images that we saw as you enter this area, were pictures of Christians like Martin Luther. In fact, Hitler quoted Luther three times and considered him a great Christian. 
Why would he do that? Well, it all goes back to that relationship Luther had with the Jewish community of his time. Luther's relationship with the Jewish community wasn't always rocky. As a Christian, Luther originally actually had a very gentle and loving approach to the the Jewish community, the Jewish people around him. In 1523, not many years after the Reformation, Luther wrote a treatise called That Jesus Was Born a Jew. In, in the second part of writing, Luther spends time discussing the Jewish people. And, and contrary to much of the anti-Semitism and Jew hatred coming out of the church at that time, Luther was very welcoming and, and had loving words toward the Jewish community. Luther said this, I would request and advise that one deal gently with them. That's the Jewish people. Luther calls out anti-Semitism when he says this, How can we expect to work any good among them when we forbid them to labor and do business and have any human fellowship with us, thereby forcing them into usury? How is it that's supposed to do them any good? If we really want to help them, we must be guided in our dealing with them, not by papal law, but by the law of Christian love. That is amazing what Luther just said. I, I mean, I, it speaks right to my heart as, as somebody who works and ministers with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And, and I believe Luther's heart for the Jewish people expanded when he devoted much of his energy to the book of Romans. And I'm sure he encountered the verse in Romans eleven eighteen, which encourages Christians not to be arrogant against the Jewish people. However, by 1543, just 20 years later, Luther's approach to the Jewish community will completely change. It's a 180-degree turn he makes. He pens another treatise called The Jews and Their Lies. And the lies that Luther is talking about are, the strict, are strictly connected to the views Jewish people have about Jesus. And, and, and Luther puts together seven steps that he advises and encourages authorities to do to the Jewish community that, that will make, really, the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And, and listen to these. Here they are, the seven steps. He recommends the burning of synagogues. He recommends uh, and believes that their houses, the Jewish people's houses, should be razed and destroyed. That Jewish prayer books and Talmuds should be taken from them. Rabbis should be prohibited from speaking. Safe conduct should be forbidden for them. Young Jews should be put to do agrarian tasks, and Jewish people should be exiled from their country. What Talk about a change. And you can begin to see where Hitler picked up on some of his thoughts about how to treat the Jewish people. Now, scholars debate as to why Luther's opinion of the Jewish people went south over the years. Some argue he grew senile in his old age, and others argue that he was frustrated with the Jewish people who weren't accepting Jesus as the Messiah. Either way, Luther's words were destructive. And it's hard to imagine, it's hard to think if Luther would have never written these words, what kind of relationship could have been sparked between the Jewish and Christian community 500 years ago with the kind words he wrote in 1523? But I think this should be a reminder for us to always speak the truth of the gospel, Jesus the Messiah, in love, never in hate. (music) 
Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. Recently, I was in the army again. Usually, when we are on watch, nights are long, since there is nothing to do and we are not allowed to sleep. One night, I was on watch with some religious Jews, who had many stories to tell, so the hours slipped by quickly. The first story was about a ninety-year-old blind man. In a dream, an angel asked why he did not read the Psalms. The man told the angel he could not read because he was blind. When the angel asked him what he wanted, the blind man requested sight so he could read the Psalms. Each soldier told his story. When they had all finished, they looked at me and asked, Have you anything to say? I knew this was a special opportunity for the Lord. I told them all their stories were merely dreams. What I will now read for you is true, I said. Where is this written? one demanded. I opened my small Bible and read from Matthew 20, where two blind men cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David! And Jesus caused them to see. This was not a dream, I told them. I then read Acts 3.6, where Peter said to the lame man, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The lame man arose and walked. When I finished, one declared, You have gone too far. How can you say the name of Jesus in our presence? You speak about him as if he were holy. He is holy, I replied, and he always will be. He is everlasting. If you continue to speak of him, you will have trouble from us, someone warned. I am not afraid of you, I replied. You are afraid of the truth, so you speak of dreams and make them seem like facts. When I read the scripture, you all trembled with fear. I told you facts, not dreams. Why do you not believe what our rabbis have written, one asked. Because they are stories from their dreams, I replied. I believe in one God and what is written in his Bible because it was written to the Holy Spirit not by people who took their stories from dreams. Show me where the rabbi's stories are written in the Bible. Ha, now we are equal, one said, because there's nothing written about Jesus in the Bible either. So I turned to Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? And then I read Daniel 3.25. Look, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. This was all new to these soldiers. They had been in darkness for so long, but now they were beginning to see the light. I thank the Lord that He uses every situation to glorify Himself. Out of their stories came my opportunity to testify for the Lord. He can accomplish that which is impossible for us. I pray for these soldiers as they have been confronted with the truth.
Our thanks to Dr. Michael Svigel for being with us to talk about the Reformation today. It's really been encouraging to see how God has worked throughout church history to preserve the truth of His Word and the gospel. And that's something we on this program are committed to as well, aren't we, Chris? Yeah, for nearly 80 years, the Friends of Israel has been committed to making the Messiah Jesus known and proclaiming the truth of God's word globally. And my friends, our ministry is only able to thrive through the faithful giving of our listeners like you. Would you please consider a gift to support the radio ministry of the Friends of Israel today? Your donation allows us to continue teaching biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah as we foster solidarity with the Jewish people in these changing times. Visit foiradio.org and click on our donate link. Also, let us know where you're listening when you contact us. This information is extremely valuable and it helps us know where people are listening and where we are effectively using our funds that you provide. Thank you, Chris. And you can purchase your copy of 50 People Every Christian Should Know when you visit foiradio.org. Again, that's foiradio.org. Contact our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. 